Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host, Sunny Chavla. Um, and in today's episode, um, I wanted to go through a lot of the missed news over the course of the uh, past couple months that um, I have not uploaded. Uh, just been busy with school, been busy with uh, everything else going around the house, and uh, um, I felt like today, especially with a lot of new news with uh, cars, uh, since it is approaching that uh, late Q2, early Q3 of the year, a lot of companies are starting to uh, rumor that they have new models coming or there are more speculations as far as to what companies are going to be doing, um, especially in an awkward uh, era of car manufacturing like today. Um, so let's just hop right uh, into it. I don't really have anybody um, that is included on this podcast, but myself just thought I would kind of uh, branch out my thoughts here. And of course, uh, you guys, I would like to hear your opinions, uh, especially on all these topics or just anything regarding the podcast. If you want to hit up my Instagram at Sunished Chavla. So the first topic that I have for today is uh, BMW. They are releasing the long awaited two series at the Goodwood Festival of Speed on July 8th. Now, um, from my understanding, uh, of course, being a BMW fanatic myself, um, the 2 Series from the previous generation was, you know, everything we all wanted it to be. You started with the 228i. That was the basic get-around 2 Series, just a small compact sedan um, that was perfect for just the avid BMW driver. Um, you know, you want a little bit of luxury. It's got a little bit of punch here and there with the four-cylinder. Um, only real issue, I guess, is just the materials from the interior sometimes, um, as well as the timing chain issues on those four-cylinder turbo motors. Now, you also have the 235i or M235i, as they had classified it as. Um, straight six turbo, basically right out of a 335i, just scaled down and a little bit less weight. Um, great platform, great car. Uh, I had the chance to test drive one uh, a couple of years back, and it's got a lot of punch to it. Of course, with um, either model, especially being a turbo, there is a lot that you can change around. You can mod them, um, and I've seen some very well-modified M235Is pushing a lot of power, whether it was on E85, whether you know had meth injection. Um, there's just a countless amount of things that you can do to these cars, and now they're starting to become M2 killers. Um, and speaking of the M2, we also have that car um, that is well known as one of the best M cars ever produced, um, arguably one of the best M cars that are out today, um, solely just because of the weight, the power, just how beautiful of a package it is. And plus, it's aesthetically pleasing, too, uh, contrary to the popular belief that BMWs nowadays are starting to look uh, very, very ugly. Um, those just those little design cues here and there and that's I think what the most exciting part is about the new 2 series uh, under all the camouflage and spy shots uh, we see that there is one of those traditional kidney girls that we're used to seeing on BMWs of course with everything being overhauled by not just BMW but all the other companies um, BMW is starting to get a little bit more aggressive with what they are doing with design um, performance wise is you know everything is great everyone likes uh, a lot of the cars that bmw are coming out with but just from an aesthetic standpoint which most bmw owners really care about um, it's just not cutting it for them so this two series um, 
it's following a little bit more of that design language um, that BMW is starting to put out. A lot more of those curves, uh, changed headlights. Um, they're not really known as angel eyes anymore. Um, and especially with the release of the Grand Tour or um, the, yeah, I guess you could call it the Grand Tour um, or Grand Coupe um, that the 2 Series had come out with with a nameplate for the new generation a couple months ago. Um, I personally was not impressed by it. Looks very, very ugly, very, very disproportional. And although it might be a good driving car, it's very, very hideous to see on the road. Um, but to see the coupe um, that is being tested all over Germany and now will be released at Goodwood, uh, this is an opportunity for BMW to gain back a lot of their, uh, their fan base, so to speak. Uh, I know that with the 3 Series, um, a lot of people are very happy with how that looks, although the LCI updates are looking abysmal. But um, with this at hand, they do have a really good chance at reaching out at uh, those that are currently favoring Mercedes, um, Audi, as well as the other companies that have small, compact coupes and sedans. Um, so looking very forward to seeing this come out. Um, probably will have the same powertrain as the 3 Series. Uh, and uh, I know there are, have been a lot of renderings regarding the M2 for this generation. Um, and uh, looking very forward to seeing that come out and performing as well. So along with the BMW 2 Series being released, there was also a teaser earlier this morning on Car and Driver and Motor Trends Instagram as well as Subaru's Instagram. Um, they are releasing the new WRX. So there was a teaser where it just showed um, the really the silhouette of the WRX and outrage has sparked um, in the sense that it doesn't really look as different as the old WRX. Uh, a lot of people are saying uh, that the new WRX is just going to have a little bit more of those Impreza design cues and just have, a, have the same um, FA24 motor. Um, it's just going to be slightly tuned, if anything, but um, it's really just the same car. Now, from my understanding, a couple of years ago, um, I thought that I heard an announcement that the WRX, they were going to discontinue, or they were really just not going to pay attention to it. And right now, um, and I'll talk about it more in, later in this podcast, but Subaru and just a lot of other car companies don't really know their identity right now. You know, you, Subaru was known for their, their WRC appearances with the WRX and the STI, then they started becoming more of a family, or they were really always a family brand. So, you know, you've got the Forester and a lot of those other hatchbacks or SUVs, and now they're trying to get this WRX right, but it's not really working well for them. Um, I, I personally think that for a car that is supposed to be an affordable sports car, there should be a little bit more to give with it. Um, I've been in a previous generation WRX and the materials are not really all that impressive. The performance is there, but once you actually putting you start putting money into it, um, and you start modifying it. But stock, um, I've just heard that a lot of people stay away from the WRX and they choose something else. Which, in this case, there really isn't many. There really aren't many choices regarding an all-wheel drive um, sports car with a lot of tuning capability, unless you decide to spend upwards of forty to fifty thousand dollars with a Mercedes 4Matic or a BMW xDrive or an Audi with um, their uh, Quattro all-wheel drive as well. So really what I want to get at here is with Subaru releasing this WRX, of course they want to show that, you know, we're coming out with a new car. Don't buy any other 
you know, new hot hatch on the market or, you know, four door performance car yet, because we're going to have a lot more updates. We're going to have a chance to make this right. And to me, you know, I, I don't seem that it's, that it's worthy of people looking at it. It's going to have a couple updates here and there, but they're really pushing this out as if it's a new car. And, you know, time will tell whether or not it will be something that is more appealing to the audience that's already looking at, you know, WRXs and STIs. But, um, for now, I just don't think that it's going to cut it. Um, I was talking about this with another friend of mine earlier today, and he was saying that back in 2006, um, or around that time, the WRX and STI actually had close to about the performance, or they were close enough to the performance of supercars during that time. Um, I believe he had sent me a screenshot that the WRX in that time had horsepower of about 300 horsepower. Um, the F430 uh, had about, I want to say, 400 um, to 450, somewhere around there, uh, horsepower. But, you know, it's nothing drastic like what it is at today's standards, where the WRX is still at 300 horsepower, you know, maybe 320 here and there. Um, or the WRX, I should say, is lower than that. The STI is higher. But, you know, you take a look at the the similar um, sports cars or even supercars. At this point, supercars with their electric power trains, you know, they're, they're hitting upwards of 600 horsepower and more. Um, but now, you know, although they're not in two comparable categories, you can start to see that when you stick to your ways from an older company's standpoint, it doesn't really help. You have to kind of start giving in. Um, so... Subaru, I just don't know what they're doing at the moment. Um, it also reminds me of the same problem that their sister company, um, and so I, I mean sister in quotations, just Toyota. Um, they just recently came out with the GR86 uh, alongside the Subaru BRZ. Same car, um, same powertrain, just different logos, I guess. Um, and really, it's just kind of an awkward... Um, car model to be putting out right now of course the 86 and the brz and frs at the time were a huge hit a lot of you know teenagers or young guys that um or even just any really uh car owner they wanted something that was cheap uh somewhat reliable and kind of just zipped around and of course the brz and 86 and frs were kind of known as that car although they didn't have much power it was still a joy to drive um, you could get it with a manual. Um, it was, you know, all good. But especially being in a BRZ before, just wasn't, you know, I just wasn't really impressed. No turbo, you know, regular four-cylinder. And although it fit the standard of that kind of time in 2012 to 2013 where they first released it, um, it, was, it seemed like a deemable uh, car model to have out. But then with the announcement of the Supra, um, the A4, a90 Supra um, that car just kind of put the 86 in in a little bit more of a shelter um, because then you had the Supra that was about 50 to 60 thousand dollars so then if you wanted something comparable but less priced then okay I can just go get an 86 or a BRZ but then a couple years ago or actually last year I believe they announced the four-cylinder Supra it has the BMW four-cylinder um, the two liter and although it still packs a punch, it's something that people that are looking for the, uh, V six Supra, but that can't afford it, you would want to get that Supra. So 
that just puts the 86 and BRZ um, kind of at a weird place because at the same price point, maybe a couple thousand more, I get a lot more of a tunable platform, a lot more of a faster platform, arguably a better looking platform, and just everything all around is just better compared to that of the 86 or the BRZ of this coming generation. Um, of course, with the manual transmission that the Super does not yet have, uh, it kind of puts that out there as a selling point for the 86 and the BRZ. But once again, just a very, very weird market um, and a very, very weird choice of parts that they've added in there. Um, a lot of people I've heard have said that the BRZ and 86 should really have the WRX's motor because that'll make it a lot more appealing compared to just a, a flat box or four, um, which is very, very, you know, sluggish. And of course, the aim of the BRZ and 86 is just kind of a little fun, zippy car. But, you know, what's the point in having a fun, zippy car when it doesn't really have the capability of comparing to other cars in that segment as far as, you know, tunability or just any other aspect that isn't the reliability that Toyota has? Um, with the BRZ and 86 put into the, uh, the queue to, for models to release, as well as, like I said, the 2.0-liter and the 3.0-liter Supra, now there's rumors that Lexus is going to take their spin on the 86 and BRZ and come out with the Lexus UC. So this is um, going to be using the same 228 horsepower, 2.4-liter flat four, um, as their, and the same rear-wheel drive layout. But it also is going to have help from, an from a hybrid drivetrain that is making a little bit more power than the BRZ and GR86. So once again, puts everything in a different shiftable movement here. Lexus has the IS, which I mean already is the desirable low-end Lexus. Then you've got the ES, which is re people really just buy that for comfort and for the name of the Lexus brand. Then you've got the RC, um, which is their non-affordable sports car. And I say non-affordable in a very loose term because when you're looking for something like a BRZ, a GR86, or in this case, you know, the UC, you're really not going to try to break the bank here. You're looking for a best bang for your buck or you just can't afford something that's a little bit more expensive. So you get a fun tunable moddable you know good looking car and call it a day with this i feel like the is has already at that point with the is 250 or even the is 350 um and that and with the introduction of this uc although you might have a little bit more horsepower and it'll have you know a manual gearbox or automatic and everything um which in this case since lexus doesn't really make manual cars they'll probably just use the automatic um, it, it just puts the IS in a weird stance and it'll just start inflating the prices of that kind of, um, the cars in that segment, as well as the comparable cars to the Lexus IS. So personally to me, just don't seem that it makes sense for Lexus to come out with this, let alone Toyota still using the same old powertrain or just a very updated version of it. Um, so just personally to me, doesn't make any sense. So now I have another uh, um, new car that's being uh, announced, and that is the Mercedes CLE class. So we are all aware that uh, Mercedes is now starting to pick up a little bit more and organize their 
uh, their names of their cars. So you've obviously got the C, the E, and the um, the S. Then you've got the um, the GLC, GLE, GLS, and just those comparable SUV models. Then you've got the outliers like the SL, SLC, um, etc. So what this CLE class is supposed to do, there were some spy shots of it being sh uh, driven around in Germany. Um, they are basically set to introduce this new model as a coupe or a convertible model. And it's supposed to be, as Car and Driver puts it, a spiritual successor to the CLA or CLK class, excuse me. So wh why is Mercedes doing this? Um, definitely has to do with their clientele base. You know, you've got a lot of these um, people that go over to the dealerships and they say, you know, I want an affordable convertible with the Mercedes nameplate because the SL is quite expensive. The E-Class is um, the E-Class Coupe and convertible. Those are starting to get out of production. So this is basically another replacement. Um, and the C-Class convertible might be a little bit too small or just a little bit too um, cheap for someone who's looking at this specific CLE uh, class. Now, this is supposed to replace the E-Class and C-Class as well, um, just the convertibles and coupes. Uh, but for me, it just doesn't make sense, once again, um, because I would just rather have it at a E-Class nameplate and call it a day or a C-Class nameplate and call it a day. Um, the competitors for this, for this segment right here, uh, for the CLE, is the Audi A5, uh, the convertible, as well as the coupe and the BMW 4 Series Coupe and Convertible. Now, I would have said it would have made sense, but the problem is is that Audi and BMW, they have their small, compact convertibles and coupes. With Mercedes, if they're going to get rid of the C-Class and the E-Class and just make it one big model, that leaves a big void um, in, this, in this market, and that just won't really help Mercedes out anymore. I don't know if it's because they're they're out of ideas with the styling aspect or if they just keep repeating, which they really do, is they, they're just repeating the, the 300 model as the four-cylinder base, the 450 with the, the three-liter inline-six um, that's turbocharged, and they're probably just going to make like a partial AMG and then eventually a CLE 53 or 63. But the fact of the matter is when you have a company as, as successful as Mercedes who is really catering to their um, to their clientele base with the convertible or coupe that's a mid uh, spec model really that's where you have to really take the sacrifice and say okay we still need to produce you know separate models because we need to have more markets to fill up you know the, the demand will always be there um, you know there's plenty of I'm sure you know rich dad rich dads that are willing to buy these small coupes and convertibles for their daughters or sons um, because that's really what the the population um, is looking for in this in this kind of model so to me once again doesn't make sense I probably wouldn't buy it if I had the money I would probably go for something towards maybe a um, four series if I didn't have to look at that front end or um, at this case maybe an a5 or even s5 if I wanted to go a little bit higher but for me, it's going to be a no. Um, so now that we've kind of picked up on the new cars that are coming out, um, I am going to just go ahead and transition over and come back to it later. But 
I'm going to transition over to um, some important news regarding Porsche and regulations, really. So Porsche, um, they have two different models of the GT3 coming out. They obviously have the one with the PDK uh, dual clutch. They also have the manual GT3. So Porsche is not going to be able to sell the manual GT3 in California due to California's new emission standards and laws. And um, I personally live in Florida, so we don't really have anything like that. We don't have to do any smog checks. You know, nothing is really set in stone where, you know, if your exhaust is too loud, then you get a fix a ticket or something like that. Um, really, if the if the cop just wants to be um, very stubborn, for lack of a better word, then, you know, that's the only time that we would be getting some sort of ticket or some warning or something like that. But in California, it just seems to be a complete, you know, show there where it's just they cannot get away with modifying their cars. Of course, this is being pushed because the world is changing and, you know, with a little bit less V8s and harsh, um, quote unquote, chemicals in this world, it makes the world a better place. So um, with all that said, Porsche is not going to be able to sell the manual GT3 in California due to these emission laws. Um, they announced that by basically saying that because of California strict laws, um, the manual GT3 does not uh, pass those emission standards, but the PDK does. So what I want to hear from you guys, and you know, I'm, I'm going to give my take as well, is do you think that if I live in California and I want a manual Porsche GT3, um, I'm going to go ahead and order it to a you know different dealership or go pick it up somewhere that's not in California and then drive it and register it, or am I just going to stay away from that whole you know shebang there and not have to worry about anything, but maybe get a PDK or maybe even just get a different car in general? Because um, personally, to me, especially with how strict everything's being pushed um, and how hard everything's being pushed with. Uh, the, these emission standards and laws, um, I I don't see that it's worth having to deal with all these hassles and you know being scared to drive a GT3 just because you know I've, I'm about to get a ticket. And of course, if you've got GT3 money, then a ticket's really the least of your concerns. But even still, um, especially not being able to buy one, that really puts a big dent into the the marketplace there because I know there's plenty of um, you know guys going through their midlife crises that want to track their cars at um, Button Willow or Willow Springs or somewhere in California and they really want to get their hands on a GT3 but either have to go out of state for it or um, order a PDK. So Tesla, um, they are also recalling 285,000 cars in China over a cruise control problem. Um, I was reading about this just a little bit before the podcast started but um, Tesla is really known for two things. Um, Number one, their electric motors. And number two, their full driving or autonomous driving capability. Now, when you've got something, when you've got two big selling points and one of them starts to fall off, that's not really a good look. Um, I know it's not in the U.S., but you know who knows how many cases there were of, of recalls uh, coming in. Um, but the Model 3 and Model Y, I believe, are the two vehicles that are having these cruise control operations. Um, they were all built in Tesla's Shanghai facility, so probably that's why it is um, based only in China and there really isn't that much of that issue here in America. 
but um, basically they said that in certain models the cruise control could be mistakenly switched on when the drivers change the gears or they accidentally brush the gear selector so um, it's partial human error but then also partial autonomous error as well and that's very dangerous especially for you know how clumsy a lot of people are uh, when they buy Teslas they, they just kind of sit back and relax and next thing you know you know when you're supposed to be stopping at a red light you're on cruise control going you know 95 miles per hour so something very very dangerous here um, it's just it's something that needs to be fixed um, really that's just a simple answer for it and of course you know you might be listening to this and thinking like of course it needs to be fixed this is just something that shouldn't even happen in the first place really um, especially with Tesla starting to get a little bit more creative with what they're going to do for their next models the next generations who knows if they're going to have the same body who knows if, if you know something's going to be completely different and especially like I said with this world changing a lot of stuff is going to um, shift the market whether it's something as small as a uh, like an airbag recall which isn't small at all or something as big of a problem to Tesla specifically as this cruise control problem so given that that is out of the way um, I've kind of given you guys a little bit of good news and bad news regarding you know their the cars that are coming out um, as well as issues that these cars uh, are running into um, but the main kind of course, so the thing that I kind of want to end with here is the fact that car companies in this day and age right now are very disappointing, um, specifically to me. Uh, I've been paying a lot of attention to just really a lot of aspects that cars announce or they, they boast when they come out. Um, GM just going with the all electric platform and a lot of their cars are starting this, you know, weird futuristic look. Um, with Honda, they're once again also going for a electric car, um, you know, backing as well, uh, while maintaining the reliability. I already gave you guys the whole reasoning with Toyota and how very um, intriguing, for lack of a better word, their car lineup and specifically sports car lineups are, um, and you know the list goes on. So. I really looked at styling and performance here as the two main factors. Uh, those are really what enthusiasts like you and I would look for when we're looking at a new car. Um, first of all, does it look good? There have been a lot of questionable looks on cars. BMW is one of the biggest things um, that people have been pointing out with their, their beaver grills and how no one really likes the design language. Although, you know, like for example, the, the G80 and G82 M3 and M4 everyone loves the performance of the car and even the interior but the exterior nobody can bear it so you know that's why you've got aftermarket companies i know mashi marho is working on a um a new bumper uh they had uh, there was a instagram story of them laser scanning the front end and um, i'm sure that will be a huge hit for a lot of m3 and m4 owners but why let it get into that place in the first place you know bmw is not just saying okay i've made my 80 grand or 90 grand off of an m3 they can go do whatever they want and you know fix it up which is really what they are doing but they don't mean to do it um it's just that a lot of times with these with this awkward time that we're in where everyone's transitioning from a kind of modern um bubbly look on a car um all the way and as well as with gas-powered engines 
all the way to a more futuristic sharp curve edge um, or sometimes even aggressive car it it really puts everyone on their toes um, as far as what they're going to be doing with design and the second thing with their performance um, the biggest thing that I've seen going on with uh, with a car company and really trying to figure out their identity to me is Mercedes um, their new c63 they just announced is going to be a four-cylinder we're all used to having the c63 be this throaty v8 you know that sounds freaking amazing and next thing you know they they announced that it's going to be a four-cylinder it's going to have close to about six or seven hundred horsepower but it's a four-cylinder hybrid powertrain as well and to me it's just not um it's not something that the enthusiasts are looking for of course with the rpm act with these california laws all this stuff it's really regulating how much we as enthusiasts can do um our own cars up and really just modify them but at the same time you know it, it's a hobby it's just not like a, a country is going to ban cameras and all of a sudden you know photography starts to go down as a hobby that's kind of some in the same way um by some means that uh this whole car crisis is, is going on and it's really affecting car companies as well um we see that as well with the ford mustang maki uh everyone <laughs> I, I could i could think of would, would just complain about how the mustang is now known not just as a cooper convertible sports car with the v8 or four cylinder that is known for you know crashing into crowds but now we've got a four-door family suv uh, called the Maki, and I've seen a lot of them around. Uh, first, when I went to Michigan, and I saw a couple, and now you know they're populating all over the place, including here in Florida. But although the concepts, you know, cool, why would you change the nameplate, especially for something that you need to market as a sports car, even still? So that is just something that, in all sort of respects and aspects, um, it needs to change to me. A lot of companies don't know their identity. They really don't know what they're trying to go for here. And I personally think companies like even Kia and Hyundai who are making these real cars out of the exact concepts or Tesla with all of their issues that they're having, although, you know, it's only one portion or one region. Um, Toyota and Lexus with their whole brand lineups and how they're just trying to stuff new cars and something to pique people's interest um or just even a lot of other companies who've already pledged to get these electric cars out by a certain year or you know get these regulations um all set up to me it just doesn't seem that companies are getting it nowadays and they're just doing it to to just put out what they think um one one thing that my uh, friend had brought up was that they are that these car companies when they build these cars they're not listening to the right advice or the right uh, feedback that a lot of us consumers are giving they'll take one thing like for example subaru with the wrx a lot of people wanted the wrx to come back and it did but at what cost you know it's going to be the same exact thing it's going to have very little horsepower gain and power gain it's going to be a lot heavier um etc with the 86 some everyone wanted a little bit more of a rigid chassis a little bit more um like better materials but all they're getting is the old car and a new shell with just a little bit different of a price tag. So I want to hear you guys' opinions um, on all these. These are all very controversial topics that I've kind of made up from 
just these announcements that a lot of car companies have been coming out with, as well as my own speculations as well. Um, so I, I try to look into this because it is something that tends to have a lot to talk about, uh, let alone, you know, a lot for the car companies to develop so uh, like i said before earlier in the podcast uh if you guys do want to send in you know your opinions or your submissions i want to hear them uh that is on instagram at sunish chavla just feel free to reach out i would love to have a conversation even bring you on the podcast to talk about these topics so um that will conclude today's podcast um i'm hoping to get back uh on a schedule with these um, especially as I said, Q3 is starting to come out for um, 2021, and that's when a lot of cars are released or the pricing's released before they are um, fully released for consumer purchase on in Q4. Uh, so um, I'll try to stand more onto that. And uh, but for now, uh, that will be the end of the podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening, and I will see you guys in the next one. Take care.